I love Burn the Haystack because I'm a deep thinker and I like to challenge old traditions to make way for a brighter future. That's also why I chose to get my degree from Avondale University College. With a thriving community of believers, I was able to kickstart my career and grow my faith at the same time. Business, arts, teaching, nursing or ministry. Called to make a difference? Called to be at Avondale. til Brand Høstakken. Welcome back to Burn the Haystack with Josh and Jesse. I'm Jesse. And I'm Josh. And this is a show all about saving the best and burning the rest. It sure is, but it is not just us today. We have a fantastic guest with us today. Jesse, who is it? We have Pastor Kirsten Lundqvist with us. Welcome. Thank you so much. It's an honor to be in the presence of the two of you. <laughs> the honor I'll... is mine. Oh, thank you. <laughs> I was really impressed with Jesse's pronunciation of your last name. I don't pronounce it anywhere near as um, culturally cultured as that, I should say. Was that, was that correct? 80%. Okay. <laughs> yeah. Mm. Yeah. Can you do it 100% correct for us so we yes. can learn? So my, my name is Kirsten Öster Lundqvist. There. And wow. translated that into a more English tongue is Kirsten Oster Lundqvist. Okay. Mm. That, see, that's it's good. You know, eighty percent there. Yeah, that's not bad, Jesse. Eighty percent is pretty good. I'm impressed. <laughs> yeah. So, um, Kirsten, tell us where 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 does this lovely name hail from? This and this beautiful accent. Oh, so I have a really mixed accent. People always ask where are you from, and I'm like, well, take a guess. <laughs> and uh, pretty much the only the only uh, continent that hasn't been suggested in my life has been Antarctica. <laughs> but people think, you know, in Europe they're like, are you are you are you a South African? Are you Australian? Are you you know are you? I'm like, no. Um, are you American? No. Um, they haven't suggested Asia, so I guess that isn't a continent that's rolled out. So I'm originally mm. Scandinavian. I'm Danish-Swedish um, and grew up in Scandinavia, mainly uh, in Denmark. Uh, and so my name is Danish. And uh, mm. yeah, I've lived a bit, a little bit around the world, uh, probably in about five different continents. So I've kind of gathered a bit of experience of different cultures, which is something I just totally love at exploring and, and learning about new cultures and new people and what matters to the different people around the world. Hmm. And so you cool. are currently serving as a pastor here in New Zealand. That's correct. So I'm in Windy Wellington and I'm loving it. Um, I feel right at home because after all, being Danish, we are the country that exports windmills to New Zealand. <laughs> So a good wind is always welcomed uh, for us, you know, blows all your cobwebs away and uh, you just feel really alive. So uh, I moved here from England. I was pastoring in England before I came here. And so I've been in ministry about 25 years. So I'm one of the old girls. Oy. Wow. 25 years. That's so impressive. 
Like I'm I don't on know, five and I'm like, wow, how do people do this for so long? It's amazing. Yeah, I don't know. <laughs> <laughs> oh, that's uh, awesome. Uh, and you, uh, you're married and you have a fur baby, I believe. I do. I'm married to Carson, who is a certified geek. He uh, is a computer scientist and uh, his job actually brought us to New Zealand. And so that's why we landed here in Wellington. And uh, then we have a little dog, a little Yoshi dog who keeps me going for walkies and uh, just brings a lot of joy to our family. That is beautiful. Yeah, the pictures of your dog, it's so cute. Every time I see it, I love it. I think my Instagram has kind of been taken over by my dog. <laughs> so I think there's more pictures of, of my dog Yoshi on my Instagram than anything else. Um, so yeah, even my parents-in-law have a little picture of their fur grandchild <laughs> on, the, on, the, on the refrigerator. <laughs> you know, it, make, it does make a certain amount of sense. That is generally what people do when they, when they have a baby, fur or otherwise. Um. <laughs> yeah. So that's cool. So we thought that was a bit funny because they've never met the dog and they never will meet the dog, but we just thought, oh, that was kind of cute. Yeah. <laughs> but anyway, that's my dog. Yeah. So, well, wait, you... isn't this podcast all about your dog? Is that what we're talking about today? It's oh, not. <laughs> oh. We'll have we'll have Josh's cat and then Kirsten's dog. So that'll be Ooh. incredible. <laughs> yeah. Incredible. Um, no, I was going to, I was just going to say, Kirsten, so you have been in ministry for 25 years. Um, I'm not going to ask how old you are, but that's still a fairly, that's a, that's a good amount of time to be in any profession, especially one as demanding as, as ministry. But I think one of the things that fascinates me about you the most is the different um, cultural settings that you've done ministry in. When you first started out in ministry, what, what was your, what was your starting point? And then do you want to just tell us a little bit about the different contexts that you've served in, in ministry? Yeah, so I think, you know, God always surprises you and mm. uh, puts you places you never thought you were going to be. So um, my calling has always been like twofold, both to ministry, but also to communication and media. I grew up feeling that pastors couldn't communicate with regular people. So I always had a passion for how do we communicate the gospel to normal people? Um, you know, I, I, I don't even think the pastor spoke to me until I was in my teens. I don't yeah. remember any pastors talking to me as a child. Wow. And that's really frightening when you go to a church of maybe less than 100 people and you don't recall as a child the pastor ever addressing you. You know, mm. we didn't have children's stories in church when I grew up. Uh, yes, we were also walk with a dinosaur, it sounds like, but um, <laughs> it was a whole different time. You know, it was very, so, so I always felt that they, that I love going to church and I love church. And even though, you know, I, you know, you're teen, you rebel a little bit against it, but there was always that drive and that, and that connection. And so, so I've done a variety in media ministries, um, a little bit in youth as well, but funny enough, God kept pulling me into different church plants and I didn't even know something existed like church plants when we started back in the late nineties in, uh, in Copenhagen. Um, so I was part of the team that planted the cafe church, the first cafe church in mm. Copenhagen oh. at the end of the nineties. And uh, yeah, I've just been involved and in learning that way. And, and that has become, that has become kind of the blueprint for cafe church, alternative church, the whole world around. Like, yes, it has. That has made waves throughout the entire Adventist world, it seems. It well, has. I think, I think we should, 
some of I know a lot of our listeners are Australia, New Zealand, America, but I'm sure not everybody knows what a cafe church actually might look like. Do you want to just give a quick yeah, breakdown? Yeah, so basically of- what we did was we kind of wanted to make the lowest uh, the lowest obstacle for people to meet God. Now, this is secular, post-Christian Copenhagen. So we looked and saying, how can our friends who are not in church anymore, what would invite them to church? How would they be interested in? And social life in Copenhagen is all about cafes, hanging out in cafes. That's what we do. We're very social as a uh, as a nation. We love socializing. So somebody said, well, why don't we make the church sitting as a cafe? We'll have great music. And that was a key, great music, not just good music, mm. but great music. We'll buy the furniture and make it look like, so we won't just go and rustle some tables and chairs together. We'll make the interior look like a cafe, little stage. Um, and then we'd have short messages that were speaking to people that were not Christians. Mm. So you start, you, that's where you're but the key is good music. And then we would serve coffee and teas and, and stuff like that, you know, during. So it had that cafe setting with a music scene um, and some good messages. And, and one of the core things was actually prayer, intercessory prayer. Oh, and wow. people were flocking to being prayed for. To the wow. point where at a time we had, we had like new age people coming in and saying, oh, we feel the love in here. And we're like, yeah, we know you're feeling God. <laughs> and they're like, well, we also want to pray for people. And we're like... Um, we have designated people praying for people, you know, <laughs> it's, it's, it's that kind of like unstructured, but still with a lot of thought behind it. Um, mm. and so we started looking at who are the people we wanted to reach, not what do we want to give? Mm. So it was a whole shift paradigm shift in mm. how we were thinking. Now we didn't know there was something called church planting at this point. Because, you know, we're off in little Denmark and, you know, don't know what's happening. And we got then invited to go to a seminar, or, you know, a Youth Connect thing. And, and there I went to talk to some people about it. And they're like, oh, that's so exciting. you got to come and share. And we went and shared it at this big church planting conference. And, and then we got all the manuals about church planting. And we're like, uh, dude, you know, we've just done, we've just done it, you know. <laughs> yeah. um, but I think the key was that, you know, I was a my husband and I, we were like the conservative Adventists. And if you met us, that's like the first time and only time in our life that that would be where we were categorized. Mm. Because most of the people in the leadership team had only one foot in church and one and a half out. Wow. But that meant they were, they were still wanting to connect with God, but they were kind of done with church. Right. Mm. So it wasn't a case of losing my religion. It's no. a case of not having his faith in the institution anymore. Yes. And right. so they got excited about Jesus and then they started bringing their friends along. And and with that, so it wasn't centered in the in the faithful who were going to church and mm. had done since kingdom, you know, was invented. This was, uh, so, so that was a whole paradigm shift that you were including people who traditionally would have been seen as not leadership material. Mm. Does wow. that make sense? So That's you kind of expanded and said, well, you are gifted as a leader, let's, you know. Hmm. And yeah, the first couple of times, you know, we had lots of non-Adventists part of that. And first time around, you know, pizzas are ordered, people put their pepperoni on the pizzas and the rest of us like, uh, yeah, we haven't had that one talk. So <laughs> we just ate around it. We just didn't eat that and they could eat that and we just never made a fuss. Yeah. Never made a fuss about these Adventist um so we said peculiarities, our Adventist uh, lifestyle issues. Um, mm. Big thing was, though, um, 
we are very smoking nation in Denmark at this point. Everybody smokes. And we ended up putting ashtrays on the table. Wow. We had a huge discussion on that. Yeah. But one of our Baptist uh, colleagues was like, if you go to a cafe, people are expecting to smoke. If you don't have ashtrays, they're going to walk outside and smoke. And they're probably going to keep walking because they don't feel welcomed. Yeah. Hmm. So we took that and we did it. And of course, our... A lot of people were not happy with it. I don't like particularly sitting in smoke either. But what happened was instead of going out, lighting up, people were sitting, but noticing that nobody else was lighting up. Hmm. So you did. So people were not chain smoking in the room. One or two might light up once in a while, but it wasn't, but they were still welcomed. Does that make yeah. sense? It's not like it turned into an opium den or something like no, that. No, no, it didn't. <laughs> Ridiculous. It didn't. And so that's kind of, so from there, we went to Norway where I worked with the radio at, a, at the school um, and ran a radio station, and which is also ministry. And learning the language while you're doing radio in a language you don't know, it's kind of like challenging. Wow. Yeah. Well, because I speak Danish and Swedish and Norwegian is kind of placed in the middle of that, mm-hmm. I was kind of waffling my way around that. And after that, I was called to Adam's World Radio in England. And that's how I ended up in England and worked for them for a couple of years. And then went to ministry, did, uh, went to then pastor in the conference there eventually. Mm. After a small yeah. stint in Indonesia with the uh, with ADRA as a tsunami response team there. Oh, wow. So that's kind of my little, you know. Mm. And to add in as a child, I spent time in West Africa with my parents. Um, so... That's my little African connection. Um, <laughs> wow. So we've just been around. And of course, I studied in America and went to high school for one year in America as well. So that's my American link. So when Very people global. ask where you're from, I'm like, well, I'm an international Scandinavian. Mm. I have lived more outside of my country than in my country. Wow. Oh, that's so interesting. Okay. So we got a good global context yeah. for your leadership here. And I, I love that. I think it, I think that's part of the reason I'm so excited to have you as a guest today because what we you know we're including this in the how to read the Bible responsibly um, series mm-hmm. and um, oh, sorry, reading scripture responsibly is what it's officially called. So I should use the actual name. Um, and yeah, I think part of the big thing with reading scripture responsibly comes down to a big word that we've sort of touched on, but now we're going to dig deeper into it is inspiration. Mm. Mm. Um, Jesse, do you want to unpack that a little bit and then we'll hand it over to Kirsten? Yeah, sure. Well, um, I think we touched on inspiration a little bit uh, in our earlier series when we talked about what the Bible isn't. Uh, We talked a little bit about how the Bible is not like a divine drop from heaven, you know, God zapping a Bible writer and sort of puppet mastering them to write down every word. That sort of, I think, was us dipping our toes into what inspiration is. But inspiration really is asking the question, how did the Bible come about? How does how does it work when God works with a human being to create a piece of literature that is both human and divine? Um, and how does that uh, influence the way that we read scripture and it does influence the way we read scripture in a really profound way. I would say probably we all kind of feel that tension, but most of us don't really have the words to describe that tension. We just kind of accept it as part of our culture. 
Um, so, so Kirsten, when you were growing up in in the church, around the church, getting into ministry, um, you started out in a Nordic context. What did inspiration mean to you um, in that in that cultural setting? So I think it's it, it is super important that that you touched on a couple of things that I think are really key when it comes to. The Bible is meant for us to be able to read and to understand. The Bible is a communication uh, medium for us. And, you, you know, talk is not just sap down from heaven. It's not a dictation mm. from God where he's, you know, man said and write. So with God inspiring people to write these different books that has been collated into the canon of that we call the Holy Bible, it is super important to recognize, as you talked about before in your burn the haystack, that we don't read it with just um, with 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 no baggage. There is no neutral point of reading the Bible because we are always going to read it with our eyes, who we are as a person, what is the culture we come from, and 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 what is our gender, what is our socioeconomic background. Um, we bring so much to the to to the reading of the word, of any classical literature as well. Um, mm that we are doing ourselves a disservice when we don't recognize that because how can we unpack something if we don't understand how we are reading it would you say most people would do the opposite of what you've described like would do you think most people come to the bible thinking i'm just going to read this as neutrally as possible to get yeah. as clear of a picture as possible i think i think we particularly we do it when we when we throw out uh, text verses at each other you know, we take verses out totally out of context, totally out of context, and then we make it apply to who we are today, for example. So, mm. um, so there is that one text in, um, uh, where is it, in Philippians, where it talks about that you can do anything through the power of God, right? Mm. I'm, I'm really yep. bad at quoting scripture in English. I can do all, all right. things through Christ who yes, strength, I can do, strengthens me. Exactly. Strengtheneth, now, maybe. Strengthens me. So I can do all <laughs> things through Christ. Yeah. That's not true. Right. I cannot be an All Blacks player, even though I might want it. <laughs> you just need to have more faith. <laughs> I don't, will not have more faith in that because it's not necessary for me to be an All Blacks player. Yeah. But, you know, when we when we take the text and apply it to like, what is, am I wanting? What is my picture of what I should have? Then we fail and see that Paul is actually talking about that as he was going through all the trials and tribulation, he could get through that because God was with him in all of that. Mm. This wasn't meant as a blanket verse for us to become um, America's next X factor or, <laughs> you know, whatever it is we're desiring. But we're using those scriptures to pump up our own cultural understanding of value, mm. if that makes sense. Mm. Yeah, yeah. And it I think kind of it kind of falls into the realm of um, what we talked about last week, which is all this idea of um, extended application. Yeah. But it's sort of almost like extended application gone wild when we take, you know, Jeremiah twenty nine eleven, you know, Philippians texts. They're all sort of very much culprits of this of let's ignore the cultural context let's ignore the original intent and let's just make it into something that sounds nice in a sermon or looks nice on a bumper sticker on, and, it, and does yeah. it inspire people absolutely and i don't yeah. want to take away from that because text can pierce into our heart and inspire us in many different ways but in order to understand 
the authors of the Bible, of the different books, we have to also address the culture that they're in and the culture that we're in. And yeah. so we also have to, and this might sound, I want people to listen really clearly because I'm not being blasphemous here, but all texts in the Bible are not equal. Okay, you might have to dig Ooh. into that one a little bit. That could be spicy for some people. It could be spicy, but the key of the, you know, the story, overarching story of the Bible is God's, uh, God's redemption story of his people. Mm. That's a key story. Now, are there scriptures in there that are extremely cultural relevant to a specific time and a specific place? Absolutely. Are there scriptures in there that I can respect as a historical description, but that has no relevance to me? Mm. I want to say yes. I think the I'm going to use for, an example of that, yeah, Jesse. Go for, go for it. Because people are like, "Oh, how can she be a pastor and say this?" <laughs> well, no, Let, I think I think the trouble for most people, Kirsten, and I have this trouble too occasionally, is when I read the Bible, I have this inherent feeling, and maybe this is a me problem, of if I throw something out because, oh, well, that's just culturally relevant for the time, I'm being disrespectful to the mm-hmm. book because isn't all scripture God breathed and useful for teaching and, you know, all that sort of stuff, right? Absolutely. Absolutely. And, and of course it is, but it also teaches you of a time and how, how God felt these things were important, you know, that the people were loved. So I want to use an example in, in, in Leviticus 15. Leviticus 15 has a lot of interesting stuff. And there it talks, uh, there are several verses that are talking about, and you have a woman on the show, so I will be a woman on the show. <laughs> It talks about what do women do when they menstruate? Well, you know. I'm glad that you were here to talk about this and not us. <laughs> That's what I thought. Let me add some value to this. Thank you. Uh, so in there, it talks about that you are unclean as a woman. If you give birth to a boy, you are unclean for two week, for one week and nobody can touch you because then they also will be unclean. Now, if you give birth to a girl, you are unclean for two weeks. I mean, that doesn't make sense in our, you know, that doesn't make sense. Mm. No. So, you know, unclean after birth. So we're talking about the whole clean and unclean, and I'm not even talking about the food. But if a woman who has a period sits on a chair, that chair is unclean for anybody else to touch. So if you touched a chair I had sat on if I had my period, you would have to go home and shower and wash all your clothes. Right. How relevant is that for my salvation today? <laughs> yeah, we're going to put it pretty you know, low I mean, on the sk- so spectrum. So I'm putting it, is it important for me to understand that God cared so much for his people during this journey from Egypt to, to the promised land that he was so specific in laying down hygiene um, mandates or hygiene lifestyles? Absolutely, I can appreciate that. Do I need to adhere to it today? No. Mm. We have better sanitation today than <laughs> they did in Egypt, you know, or in the Sinai. And there's nothing disrespectful or blasphemous about that. But I'm using it as an example and, and saying, well, we need to look at what is the core of the Bible. Mm. And, and, and all the texts need to hold on to that. So there are scriptures like that that are not inspired, inspiration-wise, for forever does that make sense are you following me yeah you could almost you could almost say instead it's like all 
it's like all scripture is important, but it's not all equally helpful, maybe. Mm. Yeah. Ap- th- applicable. Applicable. Some of yeah. it is just not applicable. Um, I mean, mm. we will we will never today. I mean, and we can talk about the current climate of what's going on around the world. Uh, we know the Bible has been weaponized in the past, and it certainly is being weaponized at the moment in certain parts of the world to be very racist. Yeah. Mm. Does that gel with who the God is? No. Mm. So we have to recognize that God. God is is inspiring the writers, but because he's not doing a dictation, they have to they have to work within their sphere. So this might be another little bit um, a juicy thought. And yeah. uh, as Jesse said last time, you know, if my boss is listening, you know, I I am still a pastor <laughs> and Adventist, a Christian. Yeah. Um, but I think, and, and that's something I'd had to come to realize as a woman in in the church that the Bible is written in the time of patriarchy. But yep, patriarchy yep. is not the point of the Bible. That's mm. a backdrop. Mm. Mm. There's a huge difference. So when the Bible then is being weaponized against women in upholding patriarchy, it's like, yeah, that is true. That is part of the Bible's history. But if Jesus was upholding that, he would not have made women the first witness of his resurrection. He would not have made woman the first church planter in, you know, he wouldn't have sent out the woman like Mary at the tomb in, in John uh, 20, where she said, he says, go and tell the brethren, go and tell the brethren that you have seen. Mm. So, you know, Jesus would not have done that if patriarchy was a point. Mm. So this right. is where we need to understand how inspiration is important to recognize. It's not verbatim. It's inspirational into a cultural setting. And I, with my cultural heritage and baggage, need to kind of do a bit of a distance. Reading it in a different way doesn't take away from the Bible. It enhances it. Mm. Right. Yeah, Mm. the way that I've often thought about it is uh, in terms of the Bible is written not by the winners, the the people in charge, you know, or the people with power, most of the Bible was written from the perspective, from the perspective of people who were enslaved or oppressed or in other ways disenfranchised or just simply not the ones who yeah. were in charge. And so if you're writing a text from the perspective of somebody who is not the ultimate authority figure, are you going to write with language and with a posture of authority or are you going to write in a way that is subversive and suggestive and uh, also transformative on a subtle level? Mm. Yeah. So whilst, you know, one of the, I guess one of the things that people have really contended with the last 150 years, apart from the the, the, the female issue, is um, slavery, you know. Mm-hmm. Slavery was the big thing Um, and there were many a preacher who would use the Bible to endorse slavery exactly, because it's never spoken up against. But actually, if you take notice of what the biblical writers are trying to do, they are railing against these institutions of uh, oppression and injustice. They're just doing it in a way... Uh, from the perspective of somebody who is not in a position 
to make decisions for every person in the empire. And that kind of brings me into, I don't know if you're familiar with, you know, you have, you have a segment of theologians called liberation theology. Mm-hmm. And that's extremely strong in Southern South America. Yeah. Where that becomes, where, where Christianity in the church becomes the social liberator in the society because the gospel is about liberating people. Yeah. Now, counter that to what we see more of a capitalistic um, reading or nationalistic reading in the U.S. at the moment. Um, total, two totally, same Bible, two totally different approaches. Um, and I think, is it only liberation? Not necessarily, but it is also a liberation to, you know, there's also freedom in the gospel in many ways. So how we read the Bible will always be a from where are we standing? So I wanted to share with you, I came across a really funny um, illustration. So there's a new book I'm reading at the moment. Enjoying the Bible, Finding Delight in the Word by John Brunt. So John Brunt is a former pastor, retired pastor in in America. And he writes, and I'm actually really enjoying reading this. So he writes a really good, um, a really good uh, illustration on this. So he says, so this man, this uh, professor, he had three different cultures in his class. Um, one from the U.S., one African country, they don't name where it was, in Russia. So he asked him about the story of the prodigal son and to underline which passages um, they thought was the most important. And, you know, you would have thought that these three groups would come to underline the same sentence. But in the three groups, he saw a whole clear difference. So in the Americans, they underlined that a few days later, the young son gathered all he had and traveled to a distant country where he squanders his property. His African students, on the other hand, underlined verse 16, he would gladly have filled himself with the pods that the pigs were eating for no one gave him anything. And the Russians go like, for them it was verse 14, when he had spent everything, a severe famine took place throughout the country and he began to be in need. So the professor says, well, they come from three different backgrounds. So the Americans, for them, it was very important, this whole individualistic culture with mm-hmm. a strong emphasis on personal responsibility. Um, so for them, he blew the money. You know, he's mm-hmm. responsible. The African students is much more communal uh, within the tribe and the clan. You take care of everybody. So for them, the most issue is that nobody was there to help him. Mm-hmm. And the Russian, for them, it was, it's, the Russian culture is a bit more fatalistic. So for the, you know, whatever happens, happens. So for them, the real problem wasn't that the famine can't be helped. Um, it's just beyond the control. So it's just, it is just, it's what it is. Mm-hmm. So you have the same Bible story in the same time setting and you have from three different continent, people reading it differently. Hmm. Wow. And for me, that's just so profound that we need to look at who are we that are reading the Bible because we can unpack how the Bible technically was inspired and it was written into a culture. But more fascinating is it, how am I reading it from my cultural eyes? Yeah. And I think it's, it's pretty hard to escape your cultural eyes, I think, but the more you can be aware of them, the more it, could help you to think, totally. well, maybe this is impacting a little too much or something. And this is where I love, I mean, we are so blessed with the English language. Let's just be honest. You know, Danish is a small language with 5 million people. 
I, I hear once in a while that people learn the language because they want to read Kierkegaard in the original. They want to read Hans Christian Andersen's in the original language. But nobody really makes a point of studying Danish for academic pursuits. We have one translation, one Bible translation. Interesting. Really? And Man. it's old. Now we had another one. And recently there came one that was really modern. And that's a bit, you know, but making a Bible translation takes a lot of money. So you right. grow up in one language with one Bible translation. That's it. Mm. So for me, starting to read the word in English was like, wow, God spoke in a whole different way. Now, English is my third language. So I didn't really gel with the King James Version because I don't <laughs> speak English like they did in 1600. I just mm. don't. It's I thought that's the, how everybody speaks in, in Denmark, Kirsten. Yeah, yeah. I thought, you know, I'm sorry to disappoint you, but we don't. And so for me, the whole modern translation, I really fell in love with the NIV. I know people have issues with it, but I really like that. But then I read the message version when that came out, and it touched my heart in ways that nothing has done Bible reading-wise. And this is, you know, I, I study-wise, I, I don't use the – message version but for inspirational and for feeling it's speaking to me i love going to the message version because at the end of the day the bible is about connecting with regular people mm. the word of god is supposed to you know speak into our hearts and unless you are you know the king james has a beautiful language is very poetic and very beautiful um but it's not very today so mm -hmm. it doesn't speak into today's heart. If you're not grown up with it, you tend to struggle with it. Oh, I, I struggle with it so much. And I w had a, a love for English mm. uh, above any other subject in school. Um, so, it, you know, it's, it's not, yeah, it's not by any means... Uh, if you have issues with it, it's not your fault. No, is what I'm trying to say. Exactly, and I mean, we we know that it it came about. You know, you had you had the um you had the bishops' Bible there in eight you know in in England, and you had you know this is Gutenberg Press that came and Tyndale started to smuggle over Bible versions in English to England. So it's a beautiful story, history, and all that stuff. Uh, you have the bishops' Bible. You had another Bible. I can't remember what it was called. You had the Geneva Bible. You had a couple of different Bibles, but. Let's not kid ourselves that J King James wanted to have a Bible that kind of spoke mm. for him. Yep. To the point where he, they changed the name of one of the disciples to suit the king. <laughs> In every other language, there is no book of James. Yeah. It's the book of Jacob. It's the book of Jacob. Yeah. So, you know, it's, but it's, but what it did, it spoke into the people at that time. Hmm. And it could connect with them in their language. Now, remember, it was Latin before. Mm. But I always want to say to most people today, particularly if you don't grow up with English as your first language, the King James Bible is beautiful, but it's almost like reading Latin today mm. for people. Mm. Um, there are entire words and phrases that probably my younger siblings and kids today would simply look at and not be able to pass. Oh, like, exactly. You know, you and I could probably get through it, probably, but there are entire words and phrases that are completely uh, obsolete and just gone from our English language today. 
and that and that defeats the purpose of the Bible, doesn't it? That defeats the purpose of God's word. God's word should never be difficult. It defeats the whole purpose of what William Tyndall was trying to totally, do. Totally, totally. To make, make it that a, colloquial. Yeah, in the language of the people. Now, I'm not saying there's not difficult passages in the Bible. Of course there is. Mm. But we shouldn't, it's a little bit like with a cafe church. We shouldn't make the Bible so unobtainable that people cannot understand the word of God. Yeah. Agreed. We shouldn't. Um and so, you know, the way it was written in the original language was very much everyday life. It was not a high, high, what do you call it? We call it high language or, or whatever you mm. want to say. So, so I think, but you know, yeah, see, yeah. Mm. I, I want to ask you, Kirsten, you know, you, you've been living in New Zealand for a couple of years now. Um, and so you've had a little bit, you've, you've gotten to grips with the culture here. Um, I suppose as, as well as anybody on this, on this zoom call has (laughs) (laughs) none of us being actual New Zealanders. (laughs) Um, but I, you know, growing up in Australia and coming to New Zealand, I found that not that much changes in the way that people approach the Bible as an Adventist. It feels a little bit culturally homogenous, not completely so, but certainly there isn't that much that changes from Australia to New Zealand in terms of how we do church and how we understand our culture and all that sort of thing. I imagine the same cannot be said for your average European, certainly Nordic Adventist. So we we are talking about inspiration and interpretation. And I think, you know, as you've highlighted so beautifully already, when we read the Bible and when we think about our faith completely, we can't escape our cultural context, our cultural context, let alone trying to figure out the original cultural context of the Bible. But I would love if you could just tell us a little bit about some of the things, some of the differences that you have noticed from um, your Nordic background, European, um, the UK, uh, whatever it is, and then you're landing in New Zealand, and then are there completely different cultural uh, assumptions? Are there some shared ones? What has that experience sort of been like for you? Well, I think that's really good. I think the challenge is I, I don't go and I don't pass a regular church. I do church plants here. So for me to talk, you know, to have opinions about your average church in New Zealand is a little bit difficult, I would say. Um, have I visited? Yes. Have I seen? Yes. I think that, you know, you are going to find part of, there is an Adventist subculture that tends to lean more towards a McDonaldization of the Adventist church. You know, there is an Americanization of who we are as a church. We come out from an, from the American puritanistic heritage. And, and that tends to be very evident in a definitely English speaking church. Um, the Commonwealth, uh, I think also in the Spanish speaking churches with a, with a Catholic heritage though, mm. um, there are definitely certain differences. I think, let me take an example. The first time I realized that not all Adamses were the same was actually on a beach in West Africa. So I'm about 10 and uh, there's a whole bunch, bunch of Scandinavians who are working, Adamses who are working at a leprosy hospital up country. And so when we all were down in the capital, it was there was beaches. So after we'd gone to church, we as good Scandinavians, we go to the beach. 
what, why wouldn't you? You mm. know, we're in the tropics, go to the beach, swim, enjoy, just have fellowship on the beach. And I think My Australians brainer. would do that as well. Yep. Yep. Along comes uh, the pastor of the, of the church was an English missionary. And he had kids, boys my, about my age. At that time, I was very aware they were younger than me, you know. But they would come there, to, and we're sitting there in our bathing suits. And, uh, and then these boys come, comes walking in the suits on the beach for a beach walk. With their, with their, with their, they were allowed to roll up the, the trousers, and they could then just dip their toe in the water. And we couldn't understand why they couldn't join us and play and swim and why the parents is like, I really felt sorry for these kids. I felt horrible parents that won't let them enjoy Sabbath <laughs> on the beach. Um, but of course, you know, when I then moved to England many, many years later, I realized in England, beaches are very commercialized. Um, beaches are about, there's always shops or fairgrounds. Or, you know, beaches mm. is commercial much more so than in Scandinavia where often you can be the only one on the beach. Yeah. You know, it's more remote, a little bit more like Australian beaches. You can find beaches where there's nobody else. But, you know, you, if you think Bondi Beach, that's kind of like beaches in England, but it's, the water is cold and it's not so pretty. But anyway. <laughs> it's, so, it's stones instead of sand. <laughs> mainly. <laughs> we do have Horrible. sand though as well. Okay. But the whole the whole idea then that for them going to the beach would then be not a Sabbath afternoon activity mm. came from that. Came from that whole thing that you just don't, you stay in church all day in England. Mm. If you're in the city, you stay in church. And for us, we're like, Sabbath, you get out. Yeah. So, so you know, you go out in nature, whatever that is. Um, so there was a much more stricter observance of Sabbath, American Sabbath rules on in England than there was in Europe. And that's very evident when we have um, Pathfinder camperies for the whole division. So we will all play a bit of football in the afternoon, Sabbath afternoon, or we'll play, bring some Unos or playing cards. And the English leaders would always feel it was their God-given duty to come and break up all the fun that we had uh, on Sabbath afternoon because this was not godly to play cards yeah. or to, to play football. It was like, you can't go swimming on Sabbath either. And all of us Scandias are like, why? So, you know, you have that kind of American English puritanistic heritage filtering through to be this, the, the, the base of how we do church wherever we do. Mm. The same, you know, the missionaries in Africa had taught everybody you wear a suit and tie and, and you know, and, and long sleeved and, and shoes to church. Mm. You know, you're dying. It's, it's, you know, it's 45 degrees. You're dying. Why would you do that? Yeah. Um, so, so I think when I see that, it kind of reflects a little bit of a, a blessing that English is not our first language because we were able to create a different style of doing church. And you go to a lot of the churches in Europe, they might be theologically conservative, and you have that. You have conservatives and less conservative. Um, I hesitate to actually say we have liberal churches in our church, but you have conservatives and less conservatives, and more conservatives even more. <laughs> yeah. um, but, but there's a whole different theology. There's a whole different approach to life. Um, and it's not... Yeah, I mean, I keep thinking when I've gone to church in Germany, you know, that's also very, can be very high church, but it's a whole different feeling than going to church mm -hmm. in England. Because 
Germany has been very intentional about, they've always done their own Sabbath school lesson and have always been fighting with the GC that they didn't follow the GC line. They always did their own because they were like, well, we have German theology. Why would we go to Americans? You don't have theological traditions, you know. Now I don't. I didn't know, know that. I, and so that, they've always done their own Sabbath school lesson. There's always been a you know bone of contention, huh. and, and sing our own hymns. It's like we don't sing American hymns. We sing our hymns, and and you know, and that's it, oh, those Germans, eh? And, and and you know, and well, we do our own hymns as well. In in Denmark, it's um, <laughs> a good a good hymn has at least ten verses. Oh, okay, gotcha. <laughs> you know, we do a couple of those, so we we love yeah. that. So you know, yes, I see a difference, and I see a difference where. I feel there's a lot more legalistic approaches when you when you have those rigid rules about how you keep Sabbath, how you do Sabbath. It doesn't become about the joy. You've missed the inspiration part of that the Sabbath is, is a blessing. Mm-hmm. And, and, you know, let's make that relevant to our culture. So if you are in a hot weather, why wouldn't you go and enjoy a beach walk or a beach, you know? Why would you transport who you were as a pastor in london why would you think you're doing the same thing there as you would in new zealand mm. you mm. know there is there is a whole there is a whole difference of 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 um so i think new zealand is a bit more of a mix between europe and england yeah. um but i think that as a nation as at all you know as a whole we are more of a mix here uh we're not only british uh, or or um, American Adventist transplanted to another part of the world. Mm. Mm. I'm just trying to put myself uh, into the shoes of somebody listening to this. Maybe somebody who's a little bit more conservative leaning. I look. I, I I'm loving. I'm loving this. But let's let's say that I'm putting myself in the shoes of somebody who's a bit more conservative leaning. They they might say, but Kirsten, this is all I've ever known. Yeah. Right. Absolutely. I, I, I don't think that my Christianity, my Adventism, the way that I read my Bible, the way that I practice my faith is too Americanized. This is just this is just how it's always been. Right. Yeah. What, what would you say to somebody who kind of said that said that to you? I think, you know, I don't, I don't think there's a wrong everybody, you know, I'm, I'm thanking God that there's not more copies of myself around. That's, you know, that's definitely, that's good. I don't, I don't see that as a problem. If people are happy with where they are and they feel that God is speaking to them through that, at the same time, I would, I would encourage people, I don't want to say challenge, but encourage people to pick up a different Bible translation once in a while, because we all get used to, <clears throat> You know, when you read the same verse over and over and over again, or the same passage, you know, it's like da 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 And nothing comes out because you just, mm. you're so used to it. It's just yeah, like automated. Then you pick up in another language or another translation and suddenly it's like, I have not thought of that. So I want to encourage people to say, try to ask God to speak to you. You know, Happy to use the King James Version. Absolutely. I'm not saying you shouldn't, but also try to read another version and know that that all of those versions are translated. Jesus didn't speak English, not even, you know, English from the 1600. We're all living with translation. And as opposed to 
our Muslim brothers and sisters who believe that you can only read the Quran in one language. We don't hold to that. And if you study, uh, you know, Bible translations and all of that, you will know that they have been faithful to the translation mm. throughout the ages. That You're does pose losing. an interesting. That does pose an interesting thought of you. I wonder if we would be better off if we only read the uh, Septuagint or the you know original. He- like if if becoming a Christian meant that you actually had to learn Hebrew and Greek and like a teeny bit of little bit of Aramaic. I wonder. I wonder if we'd be better or worse off. Just interesting. (laughs) I think we'd be worse off if we keep to the point where we believe that the the God words is for everyone. Yeah. Mm. You know, I've seen I've seen kids in in Africa sitting just reciting the Quran Arabic, not understanding diddly squat. Yeah. Um, Are they good kids? Absolutely. But how does it impact you? Then it become Mm. we could become cultural believers as opposed to spiritual believers. Yeah. I mean, a big difference with, and I mean, I'm not an expert on Islam, um, so I'm happy to be corrected for, on this. But when we went, I went to visit a mosque and we asked them about their um, evangelism as as um, as Muslims. Like, you know, how do you preach what you believe to others? And they didn't have a word for evangelism. They didn't understand it. And they said, we only grow by... Um, like uh, through our families and generationally, you raise mm. your kids to be good Muslims and they raise their kids to be good Muslims. That's how they grow. Whereas Christ- Christianity is completely different to that. We actually have a message that we're told to proclaim to the world mm. and tell mm. them and, and actually like make disciples. So, yeah, I mean, that, I mean, I don't know if that's universal, but that's at least what the um, the guide at the mosque that we went to in Sydney told us. And that was really interesting. So I think, I think there's a difference with Christianity in that we have to, we have to understand the Bible in our language because we need to preach it in our language and we speak it in our language. And also we need to start getting comfortable with the Bible in different translations because the English language is constantly changing and evolving and so there has to be there will always be new translations of the bible coming out because it has to match the language of the day there'll be a time probably a hundred years from now where the niv will be viewed as old and stale and not current language which is really weird for us to think about but in reality that's there's going to be new translations it's going to use newer words it's going to use newer phrases as they come together who knows? One day there might be a legitimate translation of the Bible with emojis in it. But there is. There is an emoji Bible. Well, I mean, like, a, I'm, I'm talking a legitimate. Yeah, yeah okay. <laughs> you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Like one in print. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, there's all sorts of Bibles, but I'm, do- yeah, yeah, like, yeah. I'm talking about a Bible that you would legitimately have in but your you shelf see, for the purpose of study. But you see, that's what's so beautiful about the Bible. Mm. That is to making it accessible. I mean, that's what we're called to as preachers is to make God accessible. We're not called to convert people. We're called to connect people with the word of God, with who God is. And there to do that, and it's a little bit, you know, we have to be able to communicate. That's why we're here on Zoom today. Yeah. You know, <laughs> we wouldn't do that 10 years ago. Mm. You know, it's about keep thinking, using what we have in our hands to actually share who God is into into whatever spaces we we are and have us influence. Um, and I think that's a beautiful, it's beautiful that the Bible, I think, is the most translated book uh, in the world. Fantastic. Hmm. Have we even reached, we're not, we will never reach all languages because there are so many dialects and sub-languages. And, 
but you know, I think it's so beautiful that that we can translate it. Hmm. All right. So this has been really helpful, I think, for people. But so talked about like culture, and I guess cultural setting and language are all big uh, factors of how we interpret the Bible. Um, would you? What do you? What would you say are are others? I think you know. I actually think your gender also plays into it. Mm. I think I read the Bible different because I'm a woman. Better or worse, not, but just different. You know, growing up in the church, you know, it was not a secret I was a girl, even though I was probably (laughs) a bit more of a tomboy. Um, (laughs) But I was getting a little bit frustrated. You know, I don't want to be a Daniel. I don't want to be a boy. You know, I, I, I'm, you know, so, so these things that we teach our kids, you're going to be a brave, like Daniel, are you going to be wise? You know, David and Goliath. And I'm like, didn't really do anything for me. You know, Mm. it's like, yeah, it's all very nice stories, but there's nothing really for girls. Mm. And, and I started noticing, you know, in my adulthood that, you know, preachers don't talk about women in the Bible unless there's two type of women people. I heard sermons about and continue to hear sermons about. So this is my pet peeve, okay? Uh, and Jesse's I know, like, I'm ready, I know I'm what's ready coming. So, <laughs> so women are preached about in relation to men. Mm-hmm. They're never preached about for their own spiritual journey. It's always in relation to men. So we preach about mothers and prostitutes. Mm. True. <laughs> I mean, what? what's the probably the most outlandish woman in the bible it's like the whore of babylon that's like the big whew, you know? so if, if if i'm as i'm just you know i'm just and i'm not saying we should never preach about that i'm saying but if these are the only role models you're putting up for young women it's about being mothers <laughs> and prostitutes you know if, those if, are your two options those women. are my two options and you know don't really sound very appealing because they it's all about reproduction and when you're a girl, you also want to be brave. You also want to be wise. You also want to, you know, be faithful. Um, so, you know, so I think for me, you know, personally, I started getting inspired when I started looking into the stories of some of the women in the Bible. And that really, yeah, it, it got me reading. I don't want to say the Bible differently, but just from a, that's who I am. So mm-hmm. I'm going to gravitate to the stories of the women in the Bible. And so many of those are just not told. And try to tell them and try to read them from being who they are, not necessarily who church history has made them. Because mm. church history paints some of these women in lights that are non-biblical. Interesting. Mm. So, you want an example? Yep. Let's do it. Okay. <laughs> I love that. It's okay. Like, and then there's the turn. Oh, that's amazing. <laughs> So I have several examples, but I think let, let's look at one that is often used is, is, a, is a woman at the well. The Samaritan woman at the well. Mm, okay. I've preached on this and so now I'm going to feel bad if I've preached it wrong. Let's do it. <laughs> no, but it, when you go to the text, we have added a lot of things into the text that's not there. Mm. We talk about her as being immoral. It doesn't say that anywhere. We are very obsessed with that she's had five husbands. Does that make her a prostitute? No. No business can survive on five customers. (laughs) You just can't. (laughs) 
And again, it goes into, you know. <laughs> Took me a second to get that. <laughs> anyway, okay, yeah, keep so, going. So, so, so just bear with me. So, you know, we're saying that I'm laughing, but, but I actually think it's quite serious. Mm. It's about unpacking the past so, or, or the history of it. So in Samaria, people could marry five times. So you could have had five husbands. Totally legit in Samaria. Hmm. That was part of, of, of the law. Hmm. Now, at that time, we know mortality is very high among men. And you know the tradition also goes that if your husband dies, you get passed on to the brother. Yeah. So, so who knows if she got unlucky of marrying into somebody who had whatever disease that they all died, all these brothers. Or she was barren and therefore kept being divorced because she didn't produce children. So we are making the onus on her that she is an immoral woman. And that's why she's at the well at lunch, you know, outside of regular hours. Mm. But she could also have been unclean. And that's why she came middle of the day. She could have been somebody who had served everybody else with water and suddenly didn't needed to go and get more for somebody else. We don't know, but Mm. we like to focus on her five husband and the time she was at the well. It was a divine appointment with Jesus, absolutely. She was not disrespected. She cannot mm. have been disrespected in her community. Because if you read, she, when she goes back to her community, they all follow. Mm. They you believe don't her follow and somebody out. of bad reputation yeah. to go and wow. see a man if that's your reputation. So that kind of turns the story from a story of scandalous and sort of Jesus is saving this immoral woman from her past failures to Jesus is actually reaching out in empathy to somebody who very well could have just been dealt a really bad hand in life. Could be. And actually, I want to claim that she was the first evangelist. She's the Hmm. first church planter. I would agree with that. I would agree with that claim, I think. Yeah, because so, of she goes back to the she town goes and back she proclaims. And they, and they all follow her to hear right. Jesus and then starts right. that, you know. Because as pastors and evangelists, we, this is not about us. We are to lead people to Jesus. Mm. That is who we are. And she does that in very literal. And Jesus stays there for two days. Um, you know, it's so. But we, we draw so many conclusions from who we are and how we have been told to read the story. And I sit and I get so sad every time I hear these things added onto it. Yes, I'm also making an interpretation about her having been widowed or having, absolutely. But that is as valid as the other. Mm-hmm. Um, we don't know. We don't know why she was married five times. We don't. I wow. think it, this is part of the value as well of the rise in female preachers as well. And even female like biblical scholars and all of these things like coming just more and more. And I think this is what we need in our church more and more is like a balance of both Mm. Um, because then you get, you'll get the, the clash of interpretations and maybe within the clash, we'll find something truer to the original intent. Maybe, you know, that's valuable. We need that as a church. For me, it's not either or it's both and. Mm, right. Both our voices, we, you know, we were both created male and female. He created them. Yeah. Together, we make the image of God with both of us are needed to actually help portray that image of God uh, and who God is. 
So I think that is, that is crucial. So this is just one of the things that's been important for me in my journey and how I read the Bible is, is trying to unpack some of the cultural added on that has, you know, and we can go on and on and on, but to see how in all of that, even though patriarchy is a, is a backdrop of the Bible, Jesus still reaches in and says, listen, you know, he elevates women up to an equal level of the men, calling them Abraham's yeah. daughters. Yeah. Mm. You know, you are an Abraham's daughter, which is the highest praise a Jewish man can get, mm. uh, being an Abraham's son. So, so this is where I know that, you know, we need to just be, I don't want to say so careful, we don't interpret it, but we need to always look at what is behind the stories and yeah. be careful that we don't put our, our um, I mean, one, one thing where I, I like to put our, our culture into it is Proverbs 28. Proverbs 28, verse 1. I think Jesse will agree with me on this one. The wicked run away when no one is chasing them. Does that Amen. mean we shouldn't run or jog? Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> Just to change it over to a little bit more lighthearted, you know? Yeah, yeah, <laughs> you know, yeah, yeah. We can read things into it. I'm like, yep, that means it's we only the wicked are running and jogging and doing exercises. Yeah. Totally, I'm I'm yeah. on board with that. You know, the fattest people are the most spiritually Holy, pious. Yep. Absolutely, hundred yep. percent. I was spiritual, and now I'm not, guys. What have I done? I made a, a huge mistake. You're such a wicked person, Josh. Look at you. But you know, and that's kind of you know, and I think it's hilarious. We can sit and have this discussion, but that's how we read it sometimes. Yeah, when we but take it super literal. But we also are very particular about which. Places oh, yes. we cherry pick from, of course. And which one we ignore? <laughs> yeah, of course, <laughs> yeah. of course. Awesome. But you know, you you know, we can weaponize the Bible, and we can weaponize it for everything we want: genocide, yeah. racism, sexism. Uh, and don't even get me started about the biblical marriage because that's super interesting. Uh, mm. What that when people say, "Oh, I want a biblical marriage," really? How many concubines are you after? You know, <laughs> it's you know, it's. It's, Solomon's the limit. Well, you know, good luck, man. <laughs> well. and, and, you know, and all that kind of things, you know, but it, it, it again comes back to, you know, how are we not just reading, but how are we sharing the Bible today? Because people yeah. are Bible illiterate. Yeah. You know, I still want to claim that New Zealand is a very religious and a very Christian nation. Hugely Christian yeah. compared to where I come from. Yeah. You, it is still acceptable that people go to church, that people are religious. That's normal. It's nothing frowned upon. Mm. Um, I can't, I grew up in the seventies where if you went to were Christians, how could you, if you had a brain, mm. well, right. no, you just couldn't, you know, how can you be a, how can you have a brain or be smart and go to church because only unintelligent people. And I think, you know, this is where we are moving to as New Zealand and probably Australia as well, but still very Christian countries um, that we are not dealing with people who are rejecting the Bible. We're we are dealing with people who haven't been exposed to the Bible. Mm. And so it's not a rejection of the word of God. It's the non-exposure. Yeah. So Bible illiteracy becomes dangerous when those who then are reading the Bible are cherry picking and are not reading the, are not understanding the context in which the Bible was written. Does that make sense? And yeah, it, it does because I mean, it's, you referenced this before. 
it's 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 that whole idea of if you're cherry picking and you're basing your faith over a a small section of uh, proof texted um, passages, you are missing out on what is the Bible really saying. It's yeah. that whole biblical literacy is not about being able to recite entire reams and passages of scripture. It's about understanding that that what you were talking about earlier, the fundamental story of the Bible. What is the fundamental story of the Bible and how does that relate to my story? And that's, I think all of us can yeah. agree that is the most, more important than being able to spit out a memory text is being able to understand that deep yeah. story of what God is doing and how and, that all leads to Jesus and how we respond to what Jesus did. And that's why the Bible, when you're reading the Bible, it's transformative, like no yeah. other scripture, no other text, no other book is as transformative because we're reading it in a way that speaks into our heart. Mm. And, 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 and that reading that overarching story, it's, you know, how can it not be life transforming? But we need to be careful you know, and we're guilty of that as Adventists, but that's a whole other episode of, of cherry picking uh, <laughs> scriptures to suit us. Um, but, you know, truth, when Jesus says, I am the truth, he is the truth. Mm. And when we glimpse Jesus, we glimpse the truth in all of this. And, and it's just for us to keep searching the scripture to get to know more of him, because why wouldn't we? Why wouldn't mm. we? Um you know, yeah. Mm, yeah. But why would I make that getting to know each other more difficult than it has to be by picking up translations that don't speak to my heart? It would be like it would be like in my marriage that Carson would send me computer code to for me to to, <laughs> to you know to to communicate something. Now, I want you to know I did learn do one semester of pro coding in the 80s in basic i'm very proud of that i don't remember anything other than it was horrible um but it's a little bit like that i take that into parallel oh i read the bible once so i know all about it i can understand everything today i can't understand coding today mm. i can't Damn. and if carson only sends codes to me how will i know how he communicates with us if we as christians are only speaking codes in our christian language in a way that's not translatable into the society we're talking with, how will they understand? How will God's love transform into it? So language is hugely important, hugely important. Culture is hugely important. Um, your own background is hugely important. But despite all of that, the transformational love in the Bible that comes through still changes hearts. Yeah. Absolutely. I think that's a really cool place to to finish it, to land the plane, to remember, to dwell on. Um there's been so many rich uh points you've raised in this um in this episode, um, Kirsten. So thank you so much. Really appreciate it. If um people want to know more about you or your ministry, is there a is there a good place to go to connect with you to contact you if people are interested yeah i mean i think probably the best way is emails yep you know just my my, my church email that's just what it is i'm in wellington i'm pastoring capital church um and the jewish Adventist fellowship called betsy Kun. so rock up there and connect with me there and if you want or send me an email that's the best way to get in touch sweet we'll, we'll put your email in the uh in the show notes 
Cool. So awesome, guys. Thanks for including me in your, in your, in your legendary podcast. <laughs> <laughs> it's an absolute honor. This has been a, this has been a long time coming. We've been talking about doing an episode with you for I want to I, I want to say almost a year and a half, two years now. So I'm I'm really really chuffed that we actually got to to do this, and uh, it worked in really well with this series. So thank you. Yeah, I hope so. Hope there was a bit of something to think about. Yeah, it was. All right. Well, thanks so much for listening, guys. We'd love to hear all uh, everything you got to say about today's episode. We'd love to hear your thoughts. So um, best place to go for all things Burn the Haystack is burnthehaystack.org. You can find a way to email us or connect with us on social media through there. It's the best place to go. So go there. And if you haven't already, um, please subscribe. Uh, I find that I really only listen to my most subscribed podcasts. So hit that subscribe button on whatever platform you're on. And if you want to help us out, you can uh, leave a rating or review in your podcatching app. And if you want to go a little bit extra further, you can also buy Burn the Haystack merch. We have merch that we have available, T-shirts, hoodies, uh, a nice uh, sweatshirt. Uh, they all look beautiful on uh, all the people that we have seen them on. So uh, keep keep buying that sweet merch. Keep helping us raise millions and millions of dollars to fund our expensive lifestyles. Uh, thank you. Thank you so much. Yes, and if you get merch, make sure you tag us in it and then we can um, show everybody how good you look. So stay awesome. That is Josh, Jesse and Kirsten out. Thank <laughs> you.